BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. I'm Andrew of the YouTube channel Andrewism, and I'm here with... Oh, wait, was that the cue? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Hi, it's me, Mia Wong. I'm also here and apparently missing cues instantly. I don't know. It, it is barbarically early for me, so <laughs> yay. <laughs> barbarically? What, what time is it? Uh, 10 o'clock. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Look, it it, it it would have been fine if I wasn't up till 3 a.m. last night dealing with a succession of minor crises. Oh, damn. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's all right. Otherwise, if it wasn't a crisis, I would have, like, flexed my early bird supremacy. But, you know, <laughs> I've been up since, uh, like, 7, 6.30, something like oh, that. Oh, no. I took a whole jog. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, but um, I just did my Duolingo this morning. <laughs> Yeah, so today I wanted to shed light on some really interesting history, I think, of the anarchist movement in Egypt. Um, I've been reading this book called uh, Anarchism and Syndicalism in the Colonial and Post-Colonial World. And there's a section oh, yeah. uh, um, by a guy named Anthony Gorman that I found really interesting and I just had to share. It's really specific to the anarchist, um, Egyptian anarchist history of like the late 19th, in early 20th century. Um, and honestly, I find that whole period to be very interesting, partially because I am a dreaded Paradox Games fan and um, I enjoy my little, you know, Vicky <laughs> 3, my little, you know, 
I, I like that that period in history. Um, honestly, any period of history prior to World War II, I find interesting. Everything World War II is just like a complete bore to me. And then everything past World War II is like, cool. But see, like the World War II period itself, not my thing, you know? Um, like, tell me about the Phoenicians. Tell me about the Phrygians. Tell me about the <laughs> uh, Carthaginians. But I don't really care about the axis and which tank was the superior tank and all those different things. A lot of these, um, quote unquote history buffs into, um, not to piss anyone cereal, of course, whatever, you know, floats your boat. But for me, I really like that pre World War II sort of stuff. Um, and the Victorian era is one particularly interesting point, uh, in history. And a lot of things were happening in that time. Um, industrial revolution was shaken up around the world colonization was going on uh, and the effects of that would, you know, reverberate for centuries to come. And the true successor to the Roman Empire, in my opinion, the Ottoman Empire, um, was kind of going through a series of crises. And Egypt, which was under the Ottoman Empire, um, and then broke free of the Ottoman Empire, had its own stuff going on. So... I don't want to get too much into that whole mess, but I want to give some context because, you know, this isn't, this is a history episode. It might be a two part history episode, in fact. <laughs> um, so let's just start back in the ni- late 19th century. Um, so there's this foreign working community in Egypt, thanks to Muhammad Ali, um, no relation. And he was the ruler of <laughs> Egypt from 1805 to 1849. This guy was all about modernizing stuff like the military, the state administration, and the economy. So he invited skilled folks to come to Egypt and lend their labor. Oh, isn't he the guy that Napoleon fought for a little bit? I think so. I think so. I mean, who who didn't Napoleon fight? <laughs> I'm sure if he could have, Napoleon would have fought like the dinosaurs. Yeah, Napoleon fighting cavemen on the moon, like things. Of well, and nature. speaking of Napoleon, I really don't appreciate how. I mean. No disrespect to Joaquin Phoenix, but wasn't Napoleon like in his 20s when he rose up the ranks military and all that? Like I could be mistaken. I could be confusing him with the other Napoleon, but I'm pretty sure Napoleon was not Uh, an old man when he was making a lot of the moves he was making. Let's see. Again, I could be wrong. Well, he, he was he was born in seventeen seventeen sixty nine. I'm I'm leaving I'm I'm leaving the math as of this as an exercise for the reader. Uh, <laughs> what really throws me off is that there's like multiple Napoleons, and oh, so I God, mix up yeah. the histories of the different Napoleons. <laughs> um, Reasonable, but if it wasn't that Napoleon, I know for sure one of the Napoleons in question was like relatively young when he was making some of his moves, like in his early to mid twenties when he's rising up the ranks, kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I could be entirely mistaken. I'm sure somebody will correct me. Um, none of this is relevant to <laughs> what this episode is about. But uh, yeah, so Muhammad Ali, again, no relation. His successors, Said and Ismail, took things to the next level after he passed on with some major infrastructure projects. They were building railways, they were expanding canals, they were going wild with the urban development. And they needed a bunch of skilled workers for a lot of that. So they brought in Italians, Greeks, Syrians, Dalmatians, and of course, 
they used their local Egyptian laborers as well. Many of those workers came to work on the famous Suez Canal, of course, and that required a massive workforce. Yeah, um, many of whom died. Uh, yeah. Canal I mean, digging, like, like canal digging, I don't know. If, if you're digging a, a canal, you might as well. high mortality rate profession yeah yeah, yeah. You, like you, you you might as well dig your own grave too like like dig, yeah. dig, dig it before you start so they can bury your body halfway through yes yeah, it's, it's like not gallows humor it's like canal humor you know it's like yeah. oh we're digging this canal <laughs> we're gonna die in here anyway uh, it's kind of similar thing occurred in um the digging of the panama canal uh although in that case they brought in a lot of Bayesian and other caribbean workers to yeah uh you know set that up um, and actually, the digging of the Panama Canal is responsible for like, was responsible for I think a, a third of the of the Bayesian economy at one point, uh, wow. because of the remittances that were being sent back to their families at home. Um, wow. That's a whole different chapter in history. But yeah, so this this massive and diverse workforce is bringing, of course, not just their labor, but ideas. Because whenever you get people together, they start talking. Um, Egypt was already considered some kind of a place of refuge for political exiles. So it's not very surprising that anarchism was starting to gain popularity around that time, particularly with the Italians in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, that, now, that's, course, that's the thing. That's the thing in this period is like you, you can literally track the spread of anarchism like by where there are a bunch of Italian workers like this <laughs> happens in Argentina too. Mm. It's like anywhere there are Italians, anarchy spreads. Yeah. It's like, it's a me, anarchism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's going to set somebody off. Um, my apologies to the Italian community. I, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, but look, they, they, had, they hadn't invented fascism yet. This is back when the Italians were still cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm probably going to get a letter. Hopefully, you know, there's nothing else with, attached to it. Um, <laughs> Italians... Already had a history with the anarchist movement, as we know. Um, I mean, some people would, of course, be familiar with folks like Eric Malatesta. So there's no surprises there. Um, labor and political radicalism caught sparks first in the Italian Worker Society, um, or Societa Operao Italiana, in 1860, which was formed to look out for the interests of its members. And later on, in the mid-1870s, you had these veterans from Garibaldi's campaigns and by the way, Garibaldi was one of the figures responsible for the Italian unification. Um, and then you also had other radicals forming thought and action, a political association with Massinian principles. Massini, by the way, Giuseppe Massini was an Italian Republican who advocated for liberty and democracy and class collaboration and all that jazz. Uh, Marx once called him an everlasting old ass, which is just really funny. <laughs> and I had to include that there. <laughs> Uh, Ugh, he's just like me for real. Anyway, um, and then in 1876, a more radical splinter group became an official section of the first international in Alexandria, which is one of the earliest attempts to create a worldwide association of workers and socialist groups. I don't know if it could happen here has ever discussed like the history of the internationals before, but it gets messy. Um, <laughs> oh God, it's, yeah. It gets messy, it gets catty, it gets... Like, we had to spill that tea at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking wild. Like, especially especially once you get into, like, the 17 different fourth internationals. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's a time. Like, the, 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 the second international is such a disaster that Hosni Mubarak is part of it when he gets overthrown. Like, it's a... 
it's 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 a good time and by a good time i mean an incredibly bad time yeah yeah exactly honestly um i just have to throw my head back and laugh quite heartily when i i hear folks talking about you know why can't the left unite you know like where's the leftist unity why can't we just come to like nah (laughs) this has been taking place since 19th century you know. My my absolute favorite version of this is people being people talk people being like ah Marx Marx wouldn't want there to have been so much discord on the left. It's like have you ever read any Marx? Like that that <laughs> that is a man whose writing is about sixty percent yelling at someone whose ideas he's also stolen like by volume. Like one of his most yeah. famous like one of the things that you you get assigned to read from Marx in college is the German ideology, which is like four hundred pages of him being annoyed by people whose ideas are slightly different than him. Is, it's like like this is this is this is an ancient yeah. tradition the the irony of marx calling somebody else an everlasting old ass will not be lost on me <laughs> um <laughs> and and quite frankly this idea of oh marx wouldn't want this marx wouldn't want that that really comes from that sort of messiahification of marx i just coined that term you know you can send me my flowers in the mail because essentially what people are doing is treating Marx and Marx ideas and Marxism as just like Christianity 2.0. You know, it's kind of like how, you know, people would have been saying like, oh, Jesus wouldn't want all this division in the church, except he just replacing Jesus with Marx and the church with the left. Yeah, like Marx has this famous line where he goes, like if, if uh, he's responding to like the first like French Marxists and he goes, if this is Marxism, then I am not a Marxist. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then everyone proceeded to ignore him and call themselves Marxists. And I was like, "Well, this is great. Things have gone. This is yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even even great. in their lifetimes, all of these figures that we respect now, they didn't really like their admirers. Like <laughs> Malatesta was quite embarrassed that he had fans. I I recall. Yeah." No, it, 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 to be clear, to be clear, that is that is the appropriate reaction to having fans. It is a terrifying sure. thing. Uh, <laughs> right, sure. Flee in terror. Exactly, exactly. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Back to Alexandria, right? Where the Foods International's Foods official section, one of its sections, came about. And it was one of the earliest attempts to create a worldwide association of workers and socialist groups. And it expanded and it formed sections in Cairo and in Port Said and in Ismailia. Or Ismailia, Ismailia. Um, and they even had the idea of spreading socialist propaganda in different languages, like Italian and Greek and Turkish and Arabic to reach more folks in the quote-unquote East. They want to take the ideas of the first international beyond just European communities and, you know, try and reach out to the locals. Unfortunately, for those familiar with the history of the first international, it fizzled out, so, you know, they couldn't really fully execute their plans. But, you know, you got to give them credit for trying to make a difference beyond their own little circles. Meanwhile, Egypt was in the midst of a deep political crisis. The military was pissed because of the disastrous Egypto-Ethiopian war. The upper ranks, the civil service, the army, and the business world had become dominated by Europeans who were paid much more than native Egyptians. The country's inability to service its debt from costly infrastructure projects and lavish spending by Ismail, its rule at the time, led to European control over its treasury in 1876. And under European treasure, um, pressure, Ismail was deposed in 1879, replaced with his son Taufik, who aimed to basically satisfy Egypt's creditors by any means necessary. And so this tumultuous political climate provided both challenges and opportunities for the anarchists in Egypt. A revolt led by an Egyptian officer of the Egyptian army, Ahmed Urabi, sought to depose Taufik, establish a constitutional government, and end British and French influence over the country. Although he was characterized as anti-foreign, Urabi received support from some foreign elements, including the very same Italian workers in Alexandria and a lot of the anarchists in the area. Um, Now, as we know, anarchists are not really advocates of nationalism, though they will fight for national liberation causes. So anarchists and nationalists found themselves on the same side when it came to fighting against European imperialism in Egypt. So when the British were causing trouble, Anarchists like Malatesta teamed up with nationalists led by Urabi to resist foreign domination. However, the British and French governments, who were intent on protecting their investments and nationals, confronted Urabi, which resulted in British forces bombarding Alexandria and eventually occupying the country in 1882. Throughout the early years of British occupation, the anarchist movement in Egypt faced both internal divisions and factionalism both internal divisions and factionalism. 
similar to what was happening in other parts of the world. Anarchists and socialists had been uneasy comrades under the umbrella of the International during the 1870s, but the defection of a particularly locally influential figure named Andrea Costa from Libertarian Socialism from Libertarian Socialism in 1879 caused a significant schism within the local movement. Let me reread that. <clears throat> so anarchists and socialists had been uneasy comrades under the umbrella of the International during the 1870s. But the defection of one particularly locally influential figure named Andrea Costa from the School of Libertarian Socialism in 1879 caused a significant schism within the local movement. And the movement also suffered other internal divisions, particularly with the enduring conflict between anti-organizationalists and anarcho-syndicalists on the role of collective association in achieving anarchist aims. Quote, until the end of the 19th century, the former trend appears to have been in the ascendancy. With the growth of the labor movement, anarcho-syndicalists expanded their influence. Other disputes reflected the power of personalities. Hugo Parini, a key figure and staunch anti-organizationalist, was notorious for his uncompromising style and was a persistent obstacle to greater cooperation among anarchists. Not until after his death in 1906 was a national program of action agreed, which provided a solid basis for collaboration within the Egyptian movement. Now, I didn't find any writings by Hugo Perini himself um, to speak his piece, but it sounds like he might have been a everlasting old ass himself if, you know, after the moment he died, <laughs> they were able to finally come together and come to agreement on something. That means bro is like a, a significant obstacle to uh, the organizational <laughs> efforts. But, you know, he fought with his principles and he died by them. So, you know, some respect there. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. So, until the end of the 19th century, the anti-organizationalists seem to have had the upper, upper hand. But with the growth of the labor movement, anarchist syndicalists gained a lot more influence. Tut tut, leftist disunity strikes again. <laughs> the real downside of this history is that the anarchist movement was still quite European and quite male. And the rise in nationalist movements were not exactly helping matters. However... While the majority of anarchist women, there was a women's section uh, established in Cairo during the 1870s. So there was some female participation happening as well. You know, it's a real, real Barbie moment there, you know, real win for feminism. The ethnic diversity of the anarchist movement in Egypt did expand over time, though. Although Italians remained the dominant group until World War I, the movement attracted Greeks, Jews, Germans, and various Eastern European nationalities. Arabophone Egyptians also began to play a lot more significant role, as seen in their involvement in industrial actions, educational activities, and anarchist meetings during the early 1900s. And the occupational backgrounds of these anarchists were just as diverse as their ethnicities. Skilled artisans, including carpenters, masons, tailors, and painters, were among the majority. Some came from the petit bourgeoisie, like grocers and tavern owners, while others were involved in trade or worked for merchant houses. And the movement also included professionals like doctors, lawyers, and journalists. By the late 19th century, the anarchist community started to shift its focus toward the new working class, such as cigarette workers, printers, and employees of large utilities like tramway companies. However, despite this diversity and despite all the calls for internationalism, local nationalist associations still held a lot of power because they provided their communities with welfare services and social events and all that. It's kind of like how immigrants uh, in new countries even today will typically like group together um, in enclaves and communities to share their culture and to share their uh, support economic and otherwise. Um, when you're in a situation where everyone around you is uh, perceived as foreign it, and you're seeking some measure of security and safety and also cultural preservation, that is a thing that immigrants tend to do. Um, and these workers were immigrants to Egypt, and so they kind of did the same thing. Uh, unfortunately, many of these national associations were controlled by bourgeois interests. Yeah. In the Greek <laughs> community, for example... The powers of the bourgeois oligarchy in funding and controlling community institutions really worked to keep workers in line with what the authorities wanted. 
Because if you stepped out of line from what, what this oligarchy wanted, you know, you kind of like lose access to those essential community institutions. And if you try, if you still have like a family to take care of, a family that you might have brought to Egypt or started in Egypt or really just struggling to make ends meet or, you know, you're a fish out of water um, and you don't really know any other languages. You just know your own people. To be isolated like that is really a hazardous situation to be in. And so that's how they kept people in line. But as in terms of the European nationalists, there's also some rise in Egyptian nationalism that also had some sway. Originally, Egyptian nationalists called signs of militant labor as part of a European disease and alien to <laughs> the Egyptian context. Uh, which, yeah. by the way, I've noticed a lot of right-wing um, organizations and movements tend to apply that pseudo-anti-imperial label to things. So you would see it with, for example, um, some right-wing um, African nationalist groups would describe the presence of homosexuality in the country as a consequence of European imperialism. European colonialism is completely foreign to any kind of African context, history, whatever, which is entirely false. But they do use that... Um, sort of like false anti-imperialism to uh, build up their power base and build up their reactionary base. So it's a pattern you kind of observe uh, a lot of these right-wing movements, and particularly global South right-wing movements. Interestingly, though, the Egyptian nationalists who were calling militant labor a uh, European disease, their opinions turned around kind of quick when they saw how potent it was for exercising power. In 1909, the Watani Party openly backed the formation of the Manual Trades Workers Union, uh, which was a diverse body of Egyptian urban workers, um, because they recognized, the party finally recognized both the need to constitute a broader national community and the political potential of the workers in the struggle against British occupation. Now, before the Egyptian nationalists came around on this, the anarcho-syndicalists had already begun trying to attract more Egyptian workers into their internationalist anarchist struggle. They knew how they knew that to make a real impact, they had to connect with native Egyptian workers. But here's the thing, you know, uh, the international union structure wasn't always practical for them. Many occupations in Egypt were pretty much exclusive to Egyptians, and many occupations in Egypt were pretty much exclusive to Europeans. So forming those unions was easier said than done. But that didn't stop the anarchists from trying. You know, they saw the importance of promoting labor organization and militancy among the Egyptian working class. And so when the cab drivers in Alexandria went on strike in 1903, the anarchists were there to gas them up. The anarchists were, of course, trying to emphasize what the workers had in common, the lack of boundaries that labor has, that it doesn't care for things like nationality or religion or race, that all workers had the same needs, the same struggles, and the same aspirations for their well-being. Of course, the nationalists had their own political vision. So while anarchists emphasized international solidarity and shared interests, nationalists were resorting to nativist appeals and organizational tactics to splinter the labor movement and break up its internationalist orientation. To give them some credit, though, the Watani Party did recognize the importance of allying with foreign workers and urged Egyptian workers during the tram strike of 1911 
to unite and strengthen yourselves and increase your numbers through combination and through unity with the European workers, your comrades. And then we get to 1919 and the quote-unquote 1919 revolution. Um, it's kind of a significant moment in Egyptian history and anarchists were there, so let's talk about it. In 1919, the British government imposed new taxes and restrictions on civil liberties, which further fueled the discontent and united Egyptians from various social, economic, and political backgrounds. The spark that ignited the revolution was the deportation of Egyptian nationalist leaders Saad Saglul and other political figures by the British authorities for opposing their policies. In response, massive protests erupted across the country, with strikes, demonstrations, and civil disobedience becoming widespread. Egyptians from all walks of life, including workers, students, intellectuals, and peasants, took part in the movement. They were influenced in part by the strategies and tactics of the syndicalist presence in the region and abroad at the time. The revolution gained momentum and the demands of the protesters became more explicit, calling for full independence, a constitution, and an end to British rule. The British authorities initially tried to suppress the protests with force, which of course led to violent clashes and bloodshed. However, the resilience and unity of the Egyptian people ultimately forced the British government to recognize the scale of the uprising and the strength of the nationalist movement. In 1922, the United Kingdom unilaterally declared Egypt's independence, though the British continued to exert considerable influence over Egyptian affairs. One could argue that the specter of anarchism would rear its head again in Egypt's history, particularly during the Arab Spring in 2011, when anarchic tactics could be found across the Middle East and North Africa. In the next part, I'll be talking more about what anarchists were doing in Egypt in the late 19th and late 20th centuries. But for now, I hope that today's anarchists in Egypt and elsewhere can keep the flame of freedom burning. All power to all the people. Peace. Oh, and this has been Andrew. You can follow me on youtube.com slash andrewism and support the Patreon at patreon.com slash Andrew. See you all next time. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 
There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free 